Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we catch up on the CAF Women's Champions League in Ivory Coast. It's the third edition of the tournament, and CAF say there are many positives. We hear from their head of women's football. We believe competition also have to go hand in hand with development and the people surrounding women's football. That's coming later. Also, we preview the Under-17 Men's World Cup in Indonesia with four African teams, including Senegal, as the continent looks for an eighth title in this competition. And lots from Stewart with the VAR controversies in the English Premier League and in the UEFA Champions League. But first, there was good news for the Confederation of African Football CAF on Thursday as they announced that they have recommitted to their partnership with broadcaster BN Sports after the parties reached an agreement on the matters that they were in dispute over. The CAF say they conducted discussions which resulted in the re-establishment of a mutually beneficial partnership. And now back in September, CAF pulled out of their contract with BN Sports because they say they were owed nearly $100 million by the Qatari media group. Uh, the contract was a 12-year one and worth $415 million from 2017 up to 2028. Uh, BN Sports broadcast to North Africa and to the Middle East and this is CAF's biggest current broadcasting deal. So it's good news that it is revived with the Africa Cup of Nations two months away in Ivory Coast. And uh, talking of the AFCON, uh, tickets go on sale this weekend, uh, ranging from $8 for the cheapest tickets up to $24 for seats at the finals in Ivory Coast. Well, it's a very busy time in African football and the road to the 2026 FIFA World Cup begins in the middle of next week with qualifiers kicking off with 54 teams in nine groups of six teams. The group winners qualifying automatically for the 2026 finals. Africa now having nine guaranteed slots at the 2026 World Cup. There are some very tough groups and many teams are playing home games outside of their countries as they don't have FIFA-approved stadiums. More on the World Cup qualifiers on the show next week. And the second leg of the final of the inaugural edition of the African Football League is on this Sunday. Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa hosting Widad Casablanca of Morocco in Pretoria. Delicately balanced as Widad won the first leg 2-1 in an eventful game with Widad leading before half-time through an own goal. Uh, Sundowns levelled with a penalty in the 74th minute. Widad made it 2-1 four minutes later so it's all set up for a tense second leg. And the third edition of the CAF Women's Champions League is on in Ivory Coast. Eight teams taking part. The 2021 champions, Mamelodi Sundowns, Queens of South Africa, are the early pace setters winning their first two games in Group A, while Atletico Abidjan from the host nation looks set for a group stage exit with one point from their first two games and with Mamelodi Sundowns, Queens, their opponents in their final group game. Now, the head of CAF's women's football department, Meskerem Tedesco-Shime, spoke about the progress that the tournament uh, has made since its inaugural edition in 2021. Uh, well, when we introduced prize money, of course, uh, all the clubs wanted to win to get that prize money. Also, when we are investing in, in um, 
in women's football, when we are giving prize money, it's investing in the development or in the next generation of women's football. Um, the prize money we are giving for um, our clubs is not just just a prize money, but it's a fund for development. We believe that when we give them the prize money, clubs are initiated or motivated to do more. Plus to that, they can invest this money for the well-being of the players and the football environment in general. So um, prize money, we can say that it's a really CAFE's investment in terms of developing uh, women's uh, football. And it, as the president said uh, today also, we will be looking for a lot of initiatives, uh, commercial partnership, to increase uh, time by time uh, this uh, prize money. For this Champions League, we are introducing programs that are elevating women's football and the women's football environment because we believe competition also have to go hand in hand with development and competition can be a good way or a good tool to develop women's foot, not just women's football, but the people surrounding women's football. So for this competition, we have uh, had a, a training for referees, uh, for the referees who are delivering this competition. Uh, we will also have a club management workshop for the managers uh, because it's important to upgrade the managers and uh, develop their capacity of club management and understanding how clubs are managed. Uh, and we will also be having a female athlete uh, training to help uh, our physical uh, fitness, physical doctors and physiotherapists to know what is the difference between male athlete and female athlete and how they can uh, actually work with uh, female athletes. When we created the Champions League, we have also created on the side of the Champions League um, professionalizing women's football or a club licensing regulation to professionalize women's football. Through this regulation, we were able to introduce clubs and players' contracts uh, to have a good training site, to have at least a doctor and be coached by a professional uh, coach, licensed coach. So we can say that we are developing professionalization in the clubs. And we have seen that um, the competition balance in member associations, club competition have grown. We have seen that from 2021 to 2023, a lot of uh, member associations are establishing women's league. That's the head of CAF's women's football department, Meskerem Tedesco-Shime, uh, speaking about the progress that the tournament has made and uh, lots of positives that she points to there, Ida. And it was indeed a difficult start uh, for the Women's Champions League uh, two years ago. Steve, it sounds cliche to say this, but it really does feel like yesterday, you know, that the first edition happened. And to think that it's in its third year already is really something, you know, so congratulations to CAF on that. The start, as you've said, definitely wasn't easy, with no prize money for that inaugural edition. It's since increased to $400,000, though, as we have addressed in the past and personally will not tire of saying, it looks horrible, you know, when compared to men's football in the continent. And especially in a year that CAF increased the men's CAF Champions League winners' prize money from 2.5 million to 4 million. Steve, that's 10 times what the ladies get. And CAF also increased the Super Cup prize money from $200,000 to $500,000, Steve. But focusing on the women's Champions League, well, 
the good thing with it being a tournament still in infancy is that it's still giving lots of different talent. You know, we have five different teams in uh, this year's edition. Huracanes, Atletico Abidjan, Ampem Darkoa, JKT Queens and uh, Sporting Club Casablanca taking part in uh, the tournament for the first time and taking their first swing. While Morocco's ASPAR and Mamelodi Sundowns, they've lifted the title. And uh, that remains Mali's AS Monday, who also have, you know, previous experience, though they've never won it. But Steve, uh, Mamelodi Sundowns ladies, they've already qualified for the semifinals with a game to go in the group stage. So suffice it to say they're showing clear and early intent. Yes, definitely looking among the leading contenders are Mamelodi Sundowns Queens. Next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to the 2023 Under-17 FIFA World Cup on in Indonesia from the 10th of this month to the 2nd of December. 24 teams there taking part, including four African teams. Morocco are in Group A with the hosts, Indonesia, with Ecuador and Panama. Mali in Group B with Spain, Canada and Uzbekistan. Senegal in Group D with Japan, Poland and Argentina and Burkina Faso in Group E with France, South Korea and the USA. Now, of all the World Cups, the Under-17 Men's World Cup is the one that has been the most successful for Africa over the years. Nigeria have a record five titles, and Ghana have two titles too, although that was back in the 1990s. Uh, the last edition in 2021 was disappointing for Africa, though. Uh, what are the hopes this time around, Ida? Well, last time the African teams were all eliminated by the round of 16. Hopes this time are better, and I think not having the usual African giants around leaves room for fresh blood. Now, personally, it's been refreshing, you know, seeing the Senegalese sweep of African football. And I think it should also give some impetus to the sleeping giants to wake up. And Steve, I remember there being shock when Burkina Faso eliminated Nigeria at the Under-17 African this year. And sure, it has been a while as they are making a comeback after 12 years, but the Stallions are much more experienced at this level than many realize. This will be their fifth appearance, much more than the likes of Senegal, much more than the likes of Morocco. And Steve, there's something that goes right for Burkina Faso at this age grade that unfortunately doesn't replicate at the senior level. In 2001, for example, they got bronze after beating an Argentinian side that had the likes of Tevez, Mascherano and Zabaleta. So it wasn't that surprising that they beat Nigeria to get here. Other than Burkina Faso, only Mali is more experienced at this stage. Now, it will be their sixth appearance. They could have won it in 2015 if it wasn't for Nigeria and a very prolific Victor Osimhen, as it goes. <laughs> but they've qualified for the knockout phase four times. So they really should be looking for more in this edition, Steve, as it's not their first rodeo. And they have a very experienced coach in Sumaila Kulibali. He joined the team last year, former midfielder who had stints in Germany, and he has more than 60 caps for the national team. That he also captained. So in that, you can see he also garners the players' respect. 
And Steve, the best player of the under-17 Afghan was Malian, Suleiman Alio. And it's said that he did get on the radar of some big clubs who undoubtedly will be following his progress over tournaments like these. As for Morocco, it's their second time at this stage after debuting in 2013. That was when they reached the round of 16. Now, coach Saeed Chiba, also very well experienced and as a player got over 40 caps for countries. So he is someone as well that the boys respect. And Steve, going by how well the senior men and women's teams have done, I would assume that there's a fair amount of pressure on the boys to carry on that flame of success into Indonesia. The likes of Sofian Amrabat and Ahmed Reda Tagnuti, they did feature at that historic senior men's World Cup in Qatar. And they both represented Morocco at the Under-17 World Cup a decade ago. So, you know, stories like these go a long way to build hope for the boys. Oh, wow. Some fascinating stats there. And uh, what about uh, Senegal, Ida? So I saved the best for last because I don't think I'm wrong in saying that many Africans following this competition will pin their hopes on Senegal. They got here by winning the Under-17 Afghan after a 100% win record. They're slowly building their experience and confidence at this stage. It's just their second time, but the consistency is paying off as their first time only came at the last edition. They exited at the round of 16, which was not a bad debut, if you ask me. Now, Steve, one thing I've noticed about Senegal at all levels is they have this beautiful, inspirational, underdog-to-victor story. And, you know, who doesn't love that? The under-17 coach, Dia, well, he's been with the team since 2021. He used to be a PE teacher until he got his coaching license and took the team all the way to gold at the All-Africa Games, though it's now referred to as the African Games. The Cubs of Taranga's standout player is undoubtedly Amara Diouf. Now, he's already Senegal's youngest ever full international. He made his debut for the senior team earlier this year, a couple of months ago actually, at just 15 years old in an Afghan qualifier. That was after impressing that under-17 Afghan with five goals to get the golden boot. And Steve, just to finish off with an interesting statistic... I mean, you can't say that. I've been inspired by Stuart here. (laughs) But did you know that Senegal and Japan have shared the same group at three World Cups? Now, they're together at this Under-17 World Cup. They were in the same group at the Under-20 World Cup in Argentina, as well as the 2018 World Cup in Russia. Now, 2018 ended in a 2-2 draw while Japan edged Senegal 1-0 in Argentina. So let's wait and see how this one will turn out. Yes, uh, hoping that at least one of the African teams will go uh, far in the tournament, uh, hopefully as far as the semi-finals or better. 
Well, thanks very much, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the VAR controversies in Europe. You can follow us on X at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Let's go to social media now. Last week we asked, who do you think should be the Manchester United captain? After losing 3-0 to Manchester City in the derby, Man United legend and former captain Roy Keane said that Bruno Fernandes is not the right man to captain the team. So we asked, who do you think should be the Man United captain? Uh, we start in Uganda and Bukenya Edwin says, uh, Harry Maguire should be trusted once again. Instead of people looking down on him, each and every one of us uh, has their time when they're not firing at all. But uh, no season is permanent and every bad time ends with a celebration in the end, says uh, Bukenya. In the Gambia, Belong Badgie says, I think Marcus Rashford can be the right person. He's admired by many because of his discipline. He's young and fast and he can be a motivator, says Belong. Also in the Gambia, Sudeko Suno says, yes, I think Marcus Rashford is the right candidate to be the next captain of Man United because of his discipline and because of his leadership quality. He's got the mentality to be a good leader and he can unite the team to be in one voice, says Sudeko, adding good luck to the Red Devils. Uh, plenty of other suggestions. Yiga Frankevin in Uganda says it should be Luke Shaw. Uh, Gichigo Mugo in Kenya goes for Casemiro or Wan Bissaka. Uh, Arch in Uganda says the captain should be Casemiro. Anthony Michael says Andre Onana is the right person for the captaincy. The Cameroonian goalkeeper and uh, Abim Geta Nayol in Ethiopia says Scott McTominay would be my choice. And uh, finally on this one Wasti Akania says that they should stop blaming the captains. They know why the team is not living up to expectations. Uh, Wasti there, I think, pointing to the deeper issues, perhaps, uh, uh, with the club structure and uh, ownership. Well, thanks very much to everybody who got in touch and are always great to hear from you. Next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to Stuart Weir, our European football expert. Uh, let's stay with uh, Manchester United. Uh, VAR controversy has been the theme of the past few days, Stuart, and an unfortunate 4-3 defeat in the Champions League for Man United to Copenhagen. Well, unfortunate, but also very controversial. I mean, United led 2-0 after 25 minutes, seemed in control of the game, and playing the best football of the season, many people thought, and then VAR took over. Marcus Rashford stretched for a ball, accidentally stepped on a Copenhagen player's ankle. The referee didn't even award a free kick, but then was sent to the screen for the inevitable red card for Rashford. Copenhagen then scored two goals, the first one, Eric Ten Hag, argued that an offside player was blocking Andre Onana's view, but VAR did not intervene. Then VAR awarded Copenhagen a penalty for what was clearly accidental handball, but of course these days those are given. The penalty came in the ninth of 13 extra minutes of the first half. So much for UEFA saying that we wouldn't be getting that in the Champions League. And I think many would agree with the ex-United and Bayern Munich player Owen Hargraves, who said they've got to stop re-refereeing these games because that's ruining it. And 
I agree with him because it's not just that VAR is alerting the referee, but it's actually re-refereeing the game, making the decision and telling the referee he has to change. Elsewhere in the Champions League, Newcastle lost to Dortmund and, like Manchester United, now have very little chance of reaching the knockout stage. Manchester City are already through with two games to go, along with Real Madrid, Real Sociedad and Bayern Munich. And yes, Harry Kane did score twice. And Inter Milan. Arsenal are top of the group, but not yet qualified. And I watched AC Milan beating Paris Saint-Germain 2-1 with four former Chelsea players in their team. Tomori, Loftus-Cheek, Pulisic and the scorer of the winning goal... Olivier Giroud, now 37, Giroud struggled for game time during the last five seasons he had in England at Arsenal and Chelsea. But in just over two seasons in Italy, he scored over 30 goals and he's 37. Yes, uh, certainly some longevity there for uh, Giroud. Uh, from the Champions League to the English Premier League, uh, lots happening there, uh, Stuart. An epic game on Monday night uh, with a Chelsea beating Spurs. Yes, Manchester City have now gone to the top of the Premier League. Surprisingly, they were the only one of the top five to win, with Arsenal, Tottenham and Aston Villa losing and Liverpool drawing, all in games they might have been expected to win. But yes... League leaders Tottenham lost on Monday night 4-1 to Chelsea in what turned out to be one of the most extraordinary games in the history of the Premier League. And what a great return to Tottenham for former manager Mauricio Pochettino. When Tottenham took the lead after six minutes, then had the ball in the net almost immediately afterwards, it looked like business as usual. But in a game of 21 added minutes... 12 in the first half, 9 in the second, 9 VAR check stoppages, 5 disallowed goals, 2 red cards and an African hat-trick. To be fair, the much maligned officials, Michael Oliver actually controlled a difficult game well and for me, VAR got all the crucial decisions right. You know, whether 21 minutes is acceptable is another matter. Amusingly, the Tottenham manager, Posta Coglu, said, I'm old school, I prefer to accept referees' decisions and move on. Rather ironic he said that because he himself got a yellow card. Tottenham's Romero and Udogi could really have no complaints about the red cards for reckless tackles. In fact, both could have seen red earlier for lunging in and catching an opponent. They were very tight offside decisions and a penalty, but as I said, I thought the officials got all the key decisions right. Last week, I saw a list of Premier League strikers who had missed most goal-scoring chances this season, with Chelsea Senegalese striker Nicholas Jackson fourth on the naughty list. Well, not anymore. He scored three goals in 22 minutes to seal Chelsea's win. And to combine Tottenham's problems, Van der Ven and Madison both went off injured. A freak result, and it'll be interesting to see how well they bounce back away to Wolves, Saturday lunchtime. Manchester City's 6-1 win over Bournemouth was incredibly the 17th time they've scored six or more goals in a league game since Arsenal did it once. And Steve, the Opta database records how all goals are scored, right foot, left foot, head, and so on. And there's a category called Other, and one of City's goals was an Other, with the ball going into the net off 
Akanji's back. Now, uh, last week we did a piece somewhat critical of Bruno Fernandes. Well, last weekend he was Madison United's hero, scoring the only goal of United's away game at Fulham in stoppage time. And incidentally, Marcus Rashford was an unused substitute in that game because, we understand, Eric Ten Hag was less than happy that he went out to celebrate his birthday after United had lost to Manchester City the previous weekend. Uh, yes, out celebrating his birthday and a great confidence booster for Nicholas Jackson, that uh, hat-trick. Uh, we're not done with the VAR controversies. Uh, Saturday night, uh, we had uh, Newcastle beating Arsenal by a goal to nil. Uh, massive controversy there as well, Stuart. Yes, I mean, it should have been a sensational uh, win for Newcastle, Arsenal's first defeat of the season. But we're actually talking more about the reaction of Mikel Arteta, who said afterwards, it's embarrassing. It's an absolute disgrace. Yes, it's a disgrace. It's not acceptable. There's too much at stake. I don't want to be in the hands of these people. I'm wasting my time. We are wasting our time. It's difficult enough to compete against Newcastle. They're a good team. But we have to talk about how the goal was allowed. It's an absolute disgrace that it was allowed. For more than one reason, it shouldn't have been a goal. This is the best league in the world, but the officiating is nowhere near the level it should be. Incredibly strong words, and amazingly, Arsenal, the club, later issued a statement supporting the manager. Now, it was a complicated decision, the goal that decided the match, with VAR looking at three things. Firstly, had the ball gone out of play before Wilcox crossed it? Secondly, had Joe Linton fouled Gabriel and therefore prevented him from clearing the ball? And was Gordon offside when he put the ball in the net? The referee awarded the goal, meaning that VAR had to find clear evidence to overturn the decision. And VAR decided that there was no clear evidence to show the ball had gone out of play, nor that Gordon was offside. Whether Joe Linton had fouled Gabriel was a matter of opinion, not a clear and obvious error and the goal was allowed to stand. Now, I cannot say that the ball was definitely in play or out of play. I'm not sure if Gordon was onside or offside, but I think the evidence that VAR had, they made the right decision. And incidentally, people also picked up the fact that Kai Havertz jumped into a tackle two-footed, catching Sean Longstaff on the ankle for what looked a red card offence, but Havertz stayed on the pitch. And on that occasion, Arteta seemed to have full confidence in the referee and VAR. Yes, so much to talk about in that game. Uh, Right then, uh, Arsenal's first defeat of the season then. Uh, Elsewhere, down at the bottom of the table, Luton nearly getting a famous victory over Liverpool, Stuart. Yeah, the three promoted teams, Luton, Burnley and Sheffield United, find themselves in the bottom four of the league table alongside AFC Bournemouth. And by an interesting coincidence, the three relegated teams, Leicester, Leeds and Southampton, are all in the top four places in the championship. And But with Everton fifth from the bottom, opening up a gap of five points on those below them, it's going to be a hard battle for the bottom four to survive. Last weekend, Sheffield United gained their first win of the season at home to Wolves, winning the game with a penalty 10 minutes into stoppage time. But yes, you mentioned Luton, who played brilliantly at home to Liverpool, leading until the fifth minute of stoppage time when Liverpool equalised. 
While disappointed not to hold on to the lead, Luton looked as if they might have enough to survive. We don't usually take an interest in the FA Cup until the new year when the Premier League clubs join the competition. But of course, there are two rounds for the League 1 and 2 clubs uh, where the semi-professional clubs join, all in the hope of getting a tie against Manchester United and Manchester City, etc. later. Well, last weekend, Charlton Athletic, a former Premier League club, found themselves at home to Cray Valley Paper Mills, a team 117 places below them in the pyramid. Charlton, former winners of the FA Cup, and this was only the second time that Cray Valley had even reached the first round proper of the competition, and they had gone through eight preliminary rounds to get there. But the game ended 1-1, and Cray now have a home replay. Some would say this is what the FA Cup is all about. In an Irish Cup tie, Steve, Coleraine beat Ballymena 18-17 on penalties after 44 spot kicks had been taken. That was quite exhausting to watch, I imagine. Wow, what an epic penalty shootout. Thanks very much, Stuart. On social media this week, we're talking about the VAR controversy, asking, is VAR interfering too much? So uh, former Bayern Munich and Man United star Owen Hargreaves says that VAR is re-refereeing games and is ruining things. So what do you think? Is the VAR interfering too much, especially in light of these controversial games in the last few days? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Is the VAR interfering too much? Well, that's it for this week's show. So from me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Ida Waringa and from Stuart Weir, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.